Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Copper's on a bit of a rip, so we thought we'd take the chance to catch up with John Black, CEO of Aldebaran Resources. They're a copper explorer of assets in Argentina. Uh, management team's got quite a track record, um, so definitely worth following. We look at what's happening post their 4.8 million raise in September, plans for this year and where the growth's going to be coming from. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation topics discussed, the company itself, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities like copper uh, and companies. You could, I suggest you will find that interesting. Uh, there's summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time, uh, plus training courses to help you with your intelligence process. And of course, there is a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from trolling and abuse. If that sounds nice to you, go and join them at crossinvestor.com forward slash club. John, how are you doing, sir? Great, Matt. It's good to catch up with you again. Too long. It's been too long. Do you know when it was? November 2019. That's how long. Yeah. Yeah, it has been a while. So pretty exciting times we're in now with the copper prices and everything. So it's a very good time to talk. It's a very, very good time to talk copper. When's the last time it sort of reached these dizzy heights? Well, 2011 was the peak. And I, I think we got up in, in US dollars per pound, sort of 460 or so in there at the, the very peak. But it, uh, it's, it's been, been a decade. Yeah, I think it's getting, getting a little bit frothy. People are excited um, and looking around at copper stories. I think, you know, we were pushing this... Um, before Christmas, so it was it was it was creeping up there. But look, John. So first of all, I should ask, how have you been? Have you, how's how's life? You've been like in hiding, or have you been allowed to travel? Um, we're, we're not really allowed to travel too much, and I think it's just good to be cautious on and be responsible in these type of environments. I'm I'm here in the U.S., so we can move around a little more than some parts of the world, but. Uh, we found that we do a lot of work from home right now. And fortunately, in, in Argentina, we have a very good crew on the ground. And so we are able to, to continue our work. We just have to direct it from afar a little bit more as we go. It's hard for us to move between countries, but within countries, we can move around and operate. And you finding, has it affected your ability to be as productive, you know, being remote? It's really just changed things, actually. It, um, it, it's, I certainly do miss being down on the ground and being face-to-face -face with people or, or being able to go to a conference and talk to investors directly. There's, there's no substitute for that. But what we have found is that we can do a remarkable amount of work in these type of formats. And, and so we spend, spend a lot of our time on meetings of, of all sorts, everything from investor meetings or conferences to, to uh, small work, work groups that we break out and talk specifics about the rocks that are coming out of the ground on the drill project. So we, we, we found that we can be more efficient than we feared when we first came into this situation. Well, that's, that's good to hear, John. Um, it's always interesting to understand you know, how companies have been affected by you know, the events of the last year with COVID and so forth. Um, can you start with a, give us a one minute overview of the business, just a reminder for people who haven't heard the story for a while, and also some of the new generalist investors who are, who've come into the space. Okay, excellent. Um, at Aldebaran, we're a, a group of very seasoned explorationists that have a lot of experience in South America. And what we specialize in is identifying large copper or copper gold projects that haven't had their full potential revealed. Projects we can catch at a moment when the prices are low or from a, a party that doesn't know exactly what they have or for strategic reasons want to pass the project along. 
we capture those projects, we drill them out, show their full potential, de-risk the projects, and then ideally we sell that project to a major mining company. That's that's especially we work on, particularly in the in the copper space. We had great success with our, our predecessor company, Antares Minerals, where we discovered a project in Peru that we sold for a fairly nice turn. And with Aldebron, we think we're on to a really exciting project called Altar. Uh, we've we've captured this project. We're in the process of over the last couple of years setting up all the basic information we need to do. And what we're really excited about now is we've got it ready to begin to reveal the full potential right as we're hitting a very interesting point in the copper market. So we don't need the higher copper prices for the projects to be valid, but we when we have higher prices, that's when major mining companies look to acquire projects and investors are more interested in it. Okay, well, let, let, actually, let's be clear, you know, for a nice turn, what you meant was you sold it for 650 million bucks straight after a PEA to First Quantum. So you're, you're at that end of the scale in terms of your track record. So you're, you're being modest. Um, right, I want to talk about your projects uh, going forward because we're going to talk today about Aldebaran. You've also got a project mm -hmm. called Regulus Resources as well, which is a slightly, I guess, yes. would it be fair to call it a big brother? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be fair. Okay, and that's had a little bit more love and attention than Alderbrand, I guess partly because of our copper price, partly because of the market. But you've decided to enter now. I guess the copper price is driving a lot of that. So have you been doing much since I last spoke with you on Alderbrand? Yeah, it's actually we're this it's a great time to catch up. When we last spoke, we we were kind of quiet on the project. There wasn't a lot of information that was out. And that was because we were doing fundamental work to get the basic data sets we needed to really understand the project. It's a project that's had quite a bit of drilling. Um, there are over a hundred thousand meters of drilling in the project. It was known as a very large but very low-grade deposit, is the way it would have been presented to the market. And it fell into the hands of Sabanye Stillwater wasn't a particularly good match. They're more of a, a PGM producer and, and not particularly a copper explorer. And we convinced them that we could help them move the project along. So we have an option to acquire 80% of the project from them. They retain 20% and are active partners with us on the project. And our, basically when we looked at it, we, we had all this drilling in this sea of low grade material, but there was, there was a, not much information on the basic geologic setting and the type of data we really like to acquire for projects. So over the past two years, we've produced the first geologic map of the project, first extensive geophysical data sets. And this year we were able in the past two or three months, we've put out a series of press releases that describe that process on all the fundamental work we've been able to put together that'll help us recast the resource on the project. And we believe that there, there is this large over two and a half billion tons of low grade material, but within it, there are distinct zones of much better grade that are intuitively better points to start on the project. So you'll see in the next few months, we'll be in a position to put out an updated resource. It won't be one that will increase the size of the deposit. What we want to do is better reveal the better portions of the deposit as we move forward. So we're, we're happy we've got all that basic work done and we're being able to show that. There's a very good webinar. There's a link on our website that our chief geological officer, Kevin Heather, conducted last week that walks people through the process and shows the type targets that we're, we're emerging on this. And so where we're at with the, the project, we, we talk about Altar as a porphyry copper project. It's really a series of porphyry copper centers. It's a cluster of deposits. And within those each of those, those centers, there are higher grade cores within that. Um, and as we've begun to understand those better, we see that there are some pretty exciting targets that haven't even been tested in the project. So it's it's um, we've started that drilling right now. We'll have the new resource out here in another month or two. 
And, uh, and there's a lot of potential for this project to really, really open some eyes over the, the course of the next year or so. Okay, so we'll put a link to that uh, webinar too. Um, so people should look below and click that and have a look um, at that. So, which case you saved me a lot of time because I, I can talk to you about the business because I'm interested in how you piece piece this together, right? So you're slightly, mm -hmm. slightly behind where you um, are with, with Regulus in, in that sense, but you're employing the same model, right? So something that you picked up from uh, Antares, you're going to do that at Regulus, you're doing it at Algebra. So I, I want to, well, I'd like you to better explain how you break that down and how you work towards that position where perhaps post-PEA you start having, well, you're able to monetize the event. Um, so how how do you look at this? I, I get that you're looking at historical data and I, I, I kind of get the, the activity of the last couple of years, but you know, then what? What do you do with that? Well, it's it um, it's it's an interesting process, and we're not the only group that has done this. Um, Ross Beatty's aluminum copper group has done this many times, and there there are other examples, and it, and we see it as a pretty successful model. Some of the considerations we have is that when you make a discovery, particularly of a very large deposit like this, um, there's a lot of value that's added to the project in that discovery stage when you reveal what you really have. But then there's often a long gap between, say, completion of a pre-feasibility or feasibility study and when it becomes a mine. And when it becomes a mine and comes online, there's another value add to it. And if you're a big mining company with multiple projects, you can you can survive that gap okay. But when you're a single asset or a company with a single asset, that, that stretch between having it revealed at a pre-fees or feasibility stage and turning into a mine, we call it Death Valley. It's a long gap in between there. And so we feel that it's better for our investors to, to look for an opportunity to then pass the project along to the likely developer of the project moving forward. And that better fits. Our, our skill sets are an identification of opportunities, exploration of them, and laying those out. Uh, we're not miners, and so it's better for us to pass on. So the baton pass we had in our first discovery from us to First Quantum is very natural, and it, it makes sense. And they have that as an opportunity for them to develop, but they can put it into their queue and develop it when the, when the opportunity becomes right on it. Now. Uh, one of the things I think is overlooked on this is when you, it's not enough just to make a discovery and have a lot of pounds in the ground on this. You, you have to show all of the technical characteristics of deposit so the eventual developer is comfortable they can develop that project. And that extends much beyond the geology and the grades and tons. You also have to be working with the local communities. You have to be working with where does your water come from? What are the government policies? We consider that all part of de-risking the project. So. What, what we work on is showing the size, the potential of the project, the economic viability of the project, and de-risking the project to prepare it to be going forward. And that, that adds as much value as anything else. And major companies are comfortable paying reasonably well for an asset like this if they have confidence they can develop in the future. Right. I mean, you, you've also grown essentially last year. You've doubled in price. You were about 31 cents, about 62, 63 at the, at the, at the moment, mm -hmm. which is great. You raised some money in September, 4.8 million bucks. Is that going to be enough to deliver all of the above to get to that point where you're going to no. have a useful conversation? Right. So talk me through that timeline. What does 4.8 million bucks deliver you and how, when do you spend that? It, uh, as we as we move forward on this project, we're fortunate there's quite a bit of drilling to start with. So that's uh, that's the, one of the major costs we do. But uh, we've also developed some really exciting new targets on it. So we will be drilling heavily on this over the next several years. 
And just as a, as a, as a general estimate, we'd probably spend about 10 to $15 million a year when we're up running hard on a project like this between the drilling, the, 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 the work to, to lay the pathway to go forward and some, some social programs to get communities comfortable with the concept and the opportunity to go forward on the, on the project. So we will have to do periodic raises to do that. But given that we started out at a relatively low market cap last year, we didn't want to raise all of that money at one point in time. So we will do that in steps as we move along. Another important thing about the nature of this company is, is the way we've set this up is that um, we have two very large shareholders in the company. So we have a group called Route One that owns almost 50% of the company and Sabanye owns 20% of the company. So um, most of the times when we do capital raise, they have pro rata rights and they're very bullish on moving forward. So we, we almost have the built-in cornerstone of a, of a financing done. And, um, and then we fill in around that as we move forward. So I'm not too worried about access to capital, but what we wanna do is raise enough that we can produce some results and then raise more and increasingly higher prices as we move on. Right, so, so if I look in the marketplace, people are getting very excited about car growth. They go, you know, they, they seem to um, head towards producers, naturally, beneficiaries, cash flows mm -hmm. um, at these prices. But eventually, they're, they're going to have to look elsewhere because you know there's a, there's only so much um, investing in producers you can do. So, are you expecting mm -hmm. them to come down and start looking at companies like yourself? It's kind of it's kind of a natural cascade that we see in an opportunity like this when a, any given commodity takes off. Is that uh, the 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 quick response to an increase in copper prices? The producing companies are more profitable, so their their share prices go up. So we've seen some pretty spectacular gains in pure copper companies like, say, a Freeport or others like that. You get two or threefold increase over the past year alone on that. Um, but that, that'll top out at some point. I, I think there's still more room on the copper price, but it's probably not going to go up another 100% from today. So as, as what we're hearing now is, is that people have done quite well on that first wave of the copper, and then they start to, to move down the chain to mid-tier producers and then into expiration stories. And what investors are smart investors are looking for is just increased leverage. So they've done well in, in the first leg of it, and then they look to come into expiration stories that have potential to come to awareness, particularly ones that have been a little bit off the map or, or maybe a little bit hidden. And I think I think our Alderbron project falls into that category. Our Regulus project and and our the project we have in Regulus is, as you mentioned, a little more visible, a little more mature. So it has a, a better valuation to it, uh, but farther along. This is a little earlier stage in some ways in Aldebaran, so it's an outstanding opportunity to take a look at, at positioning in the company now. Absolutely. So here's the eternal question when companies in your position. You've got Group 1, 50%, Sabanier, 20% liquidity, because I'm sure those guys are happy yeah. to keep putting their percentage in, but that kind of means that this, is there room for growth? How, how, how do you manage that? Is there a conversation to be had with those guys, or they just think, well, do you know what? We'd rather maintain a very large position in this company. They're, fortunately, they're two very good partners on this, and they, they do have pro rata rights, but they, they understand that um, the other shareholders, including ourselves, look, look at that differently. And as senior management, we're more closely aligned with our, our common shareholders than we are with our two major partners. It's, it's a synergy between everybody on this. But so they'll, they'll work with us on that. And the, the internal question of... Uh, of liquidity, it's it it has its pluses and minuses on it. It um, 
it, for those that want to get into a position, it's a little harder when we don't have a lot of liquidity. And most of our shareholders know our business strategy. And so they bet long on us, they buy and they hold. So it doesn't mean much is available. But it also means that as there's increased interest in the space, there's, uh, it doesn't take much interest to affect our share price on it. So you, you can move up more quickly when you're, when you're a tightly held company. Um, but it's harder to attract people in. So people look for those opportunities when we when we do financial when we do private placements. That's a that's a best opportunity to come in on us. And our partners will work with us on that. Keep in mind they're shareholders too. So they 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 focus on that end game, but that end game is is dictated by what our share price is. Right. And you mentioned the kind of large low grade component here. And if we look in nickel or even gold, so there's a lot of misconception around that. You know, they they look at big high grade headlines, very attractive, but it doesn't necessarily always equate to the amount of metal in the ground here. So what are the kind of peers or what are the comps that people should be thinking about when they're looking at a, you know, a large bulk, low grade copper project? Well, it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. There's uh, one thing I can point out right now is that we, we are in Argentina, and Argentina is a country that is not—it's not your first country you think of as a major copper producer. But I think there's a very interesting opportunity for Argentina to, to put themselves on the map. And when, when we look around at the number of large projects that are partially defined or in the process of being revealed, what they have available projects for development in copper space. Uh, Argentina actually has quite a few of them right now. And, and we're in the province of San Juan in Argentina. Ar Argentina is a, a federation of states. So each province has its kind of autonomy and its own approach. So you have pro-mining um, provinces and others that you don't want to work in or can't work in. San Juan's one of the better ones to be working in. And just in the, in the province we're in right now, there are five large copper projects that are in the stage of development to, to almost being ready to, to go forward. And so there, that's, that's exciting because I think you'll begin to see international companies pay more attention to Argentina. And there's several others throughout the, the country as well. So I think you'll see announcements of projects moving forward in Argentina in this cycle, which will be great and a great opportunity for Argentina to move forward. But one of the ones I can point out that's in the news just recently is, is the Lundin Group with their Jose Maria company is, is just put out a, a very encouraging feasibility study on their Jose Maria project in the northern part of the province. And grade-wise, it's, it's a large deposit that is has a moderate to low grade, but it has that potential to be quite profitable due to, due to the nature of the mineralization and where it's set. So that's a good one to take a look at as well. The days of having these extremely large properties with very high grades, th those are hard to find now. And so we're, we're starting to see the average grades of projects drop and the average grades of operating mines drop as well on it. Okay, so no, no concerns there, a lot of parallels, a uh, lot of uh, peer analysis that can be can be done. Um, yeah. Talk to me about what, because you, you spent a couple of years looking at data, you, mm -hmm. you've been doing some groundwork. What, where are you today? What was the base from which we're moving forward? And, and therefore, you know, what are you aiming to have done by the end of this year? Well, as I mentioned, we have all these basic data sets pretty well completed right now, which has allowed us to, to really understand what the project is. We're missing one key data set. And then last year, um, due to seasonality issues and, and COVID coming in, we weren't able to complete a, a deep 
looking 3D IPMT survey that we really like to have. It's a technique that we've seen in, in other environments work extremely well to image the targets at, at depth. And so we, we weren't able to complete that last year. It's the last missing piece of the fundamental data sets we need. And the crew's mobilizing next week on that to get that complete this year. And so th that'll be a, a nice piece of information that'll be done. We've completed our geologic models, all that's put together, and that forms the basis for the resource calculation. We're, we're well on our way on doing that. We, we originally wanted to have that out in this first quarter of the year. It's, it's gonna be right towards the end of the March, maybe slip a little bit into April. We've had a, had a slight delay there and that the group that's working on it got hit kind of hard on COVID and had to, had to go remote on how they worked on it. And in normal circumstance, we embed some of our team members in their team for the last month or so of that work, and we've had to do that remotely. So it's, it's, it's delayed it slightly, but it'll be out by April. And when that's out, then um, one will be able to uh, let people see better what we're talking about, these higher grade zones and how they move forward and and see how the targets fit into that as as we get going so you'll see drill data from our, our ongoing exploration right now with two rigs going and, and possibly adding some an additional rig you'll see the geophysical survey data set come out and you'll see the resource calculation come out and and put that into better context and then it then it starts to become easier to compare it to a number of the other peer groups that have projects out there right okay but where where, where do we end the year because i'm trying i'm trying to work out what i'd be buying into so april i can see a number which perhaps I as an investor might recognize, and I know you're comfortable with all the work, but for me doing analysis, I've just, I use some very simple data to do that. So mm -hmm. April, we can look at something which allows us to compare you to others. You're going to deliver the rest of the, what, what precisely will I be looking at at the end of the year? By the end of this year on this project, what we'll be looking is that resource update in April. We'll look at the results from our ongoing exploration now, which will be designed to grow these better zones that we see as we drill those and maybe test a couple of the new targets as well. We'll have a better way to image these targets with the, the deep looking geophysical work going. And then that'll allow us to lay out a much more aggressive program next field season. This is a high Andes project, so we, we have a seasonality. We can work from about November to April on the project. Um, and uh, this year we started our work post Christmas because of the challenges with COVID protocols and everything. But next year we'd like to be in as early as possible. Uh, one of the neighboring projects is cutting a new road in at low elevation. So we're, we're optimistic we can be in by October even of, of next year to start off a, a pretty serious drill campaign that'll be testing those new targets. And that gap in between on this project um, where we're not allowed to, where we're, we don't have access to work during the snowy or field season, it doesn't mean a mine can't operate all year. It just means the expiration season's a little bit restricted on it. Is we have a couple other interesting projects in, in Aldebaran, our Rio Grande project and our Aguas Calientes project, which are in the Northern part of the country. And we can work on those during that period of time. So I think you'll see news flow coming out of those two projects as we we evaluate the opportunities on how to move them forward. I think that'll be interesting to me because I, I was going to ask you about that is in terms of obviously getting used to working via Zoom and people are getting used to working remotely with each other in teams. Uh, so mm -hmm. it isn't affecting your ability to process data, to, to, to do things. But what does restrict your ability is the available cash. So it's just a case of how you choose to portion that. So where's the bulk of the money going in terms of, is it just going to be on your, you know, your flagship project, as it were? 
Altars is definitely the flagship project here. And so that's the, that'll be the main focus of our work. But, um, but the Rio Grande project is an interesting one. It's a large copper gold system as well. And it's immediately adjacent to a mine that's just being put into production called Lindero. And we have a, a resource to find on the upper portion of the Rio Grande project. It's, a, it's an oxide gold resource that's, that's partially oxide, oxidized. And so that means it potentially could be pro processed in, in conjunction with the mineralization being processed next door. So we'll be exploring some opportunities there to see if we might be able to uh, monetize part of that project in some way or, or leverage off that project to the benefit of ourselves and, then, and the neighbors as we move forward on it. And then we're very interested in exploring at depth. We think there's some pretty good potential for sulfide mineralization at depth. And then Aguas Calientes is a, is a really encouraging early stage precious, precious metal opportunity. So uh, the, both of those have potential, the relatively low cost to explore and, and fill in naturally in the gap when we're snowed out on the Altar project. Right. Okay. And I'll, I'll ask you this question. You answered it last time we spoke um, and you talk about it in your PowerPoint, arsenic levels, some people keep bringing this up. I thought you dealt with it mm -hmm. before. So maybe say, if you don't mind, describe why people think they're concerned about it and then describe, if you don't mind, your solution or your view of the arsenic mm -hmm. levels at Altar. Great. Thanks for bringing this up. It's a very good point. And I think one that we'll be able to, to provide some very interesting information about it when we put the resource out. Um, the, the Altar project had that stigma of being large but low grade, but it also had a stigma of there's arsenic associated with it. And many porphyry coppers have arsenic in some portion of the system. Um, when we took a look at it, and, and particularly as we put our geologic model together, we've realized that our arsenic is in the upper portion of the system predominantly, and it can be isolated in, in two zones. But now that we have the geologic controls and we understand how it occurs, we can model it so that it stays where it, 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 where it is and not the, the previous approach to modeling this was a geostatistical approach, which kind of blew the arsenic across boundaries where it naturally doesn't cross. And so much of that arsenic is in what's called a leach cap. It's a barren cap over the top of the system. So that won't be processed. So that arsenic doesn't enter the equation whatsoever at all. And then there's an upper enriched zone. One of the higher grade zones that we're interested in the project is what's called a secondary enrichment blanket. It's where copper has been leached from the upper zone and redeposited. And that still has quite a bit of arsenic associated with it, good copper grades, but quite a bit of arsenic associated with it. But because it's secondary sulfide mineralization, that mineralization can be processed by heap leach techniques, which um, the arsenic doesn't enter into that equation. It's, it becomes stabilized as scoridite and, and you, you don't produce a concentrate from that. And if we approach the project by taking a look at it as, an, as a low capex SXCW opportunity for that upper portion, remove that arsenic portion in that area, the underlying primary mineralization is, is, is very much lower in arsenic and much more manageable. So we believe the arsenic issue is not what it was thought to be overall in the project. And we'll see that as we, we put out the resource. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm, that's actually an update for me. I appreciate that. Um, can I just finish off one thing? It's, it's just around ESG. You mentioned it earlier, right? It's, becoming, it's getting into every conversation, especially around this whole EV thematic. You know, I think OEMs are demanding that there's complete uh, transparency, track, traceability, trackability uh, around um, their, the supply of their product in, in, the, in the supply chain. And we've got companies talking to us about sequest sequestering CO2 and the way that they go about producing 
whether it be you know metals like nickel, like nickel, which can be quite dirty or can be quite clean. You guys are going to have to be conscious of that for when you get into future funding rounds. So, why do you talk about it now? It kind of seems like so far away from the point at which you're going to have to you know stump up and prove your ESG credentials. Absolutely, and and if not to the market, uh, particularly to potential acquirers of the project, they they need to to see that that we've done the fundamental work, that we haven't done anything that'll cross them up on things in the future, and that they see opportunities. We don't always have to execute it. We don't have to go out and build a wind field or, or, or a big solar panel. But, but if we demonstrate that there are areas nearby and groups that are interested in that and show examples, then we kind of set the pathways for the companies to take a look at that. And so fundamentally, what we need to be working is to make sure that the local communities are comfortable with the opportunity. Fortunately, in, in this part of the central Andes, is it's a little easier than some parts of the world in that there's absolutely nobody that lives within tens of kilometers of the project. It's, it's barren, rocky, above timberline. There's, 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 it's a pretty, pretty remote part of the world in many ways. Um, that presents some infrastructure challenges on getting power there, for example, but it makes it much simpler in that we're not competing with agricultural interests uh, directly on the project or touristic interests or other things. So it's it's an easier project in many ways. But um, it's one of the things that I'm pretty excited about as, as exploration geology, that's my background and formation. You, you're trained on rocks and things like that. But the reality is I spend more of my time now on social issues and governmental issues and things like that. And that's just the nature of the work. And, and there's a potential for a lot of value add there, or conversely, if you don't do your job right, you can destroy values. So it's, that's why it's such an important part of what our, our work is right now. Brilliant. Look, John, th- thanks for the update. And I got, I'm glad you've kind of turned the key on the engine and the, the, the car is moving now because it always had potential. It's just a case of timing, I guess. Uh, so stay in touch. Let us know how you move forward this year. It'd be interesting, especially in this, co- this copper environment to see how you get on. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. I think I think we're set up well and this is going to be be a fun run here for us, for all of us in the, in the next few years. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.